first bestsellers where we read about the Illinois rail splitter so you don't have to. I'm Renata. And I'm Kate. And for this episode, we read Abraham Lincoln, Vampire Hunter by Seth Graham Smith. Joining us to discuss this alternate history where the good guys win is KL, Lincoln fan and repentant Southerner. Howdy, (laughs) y'all. It's the only time I've ever said that in my life. (laughs) Good day, (laughs) ma'am. Thank you kindly for joining us. Okay, so I love this book, first of all. It is amazing. Yes. Kale and I both have read it before, and after, like, reading a comic that was John Barrowman's face on every page, I was like, yes, let's do this book. It's not actually bad, but it fits our brand, and I deserve it after reading that comic. I'm so glad you brought it into my life, because... (laughs) Um, so if you don't know, Seth Graham Smith, his first kind of one of these kinds of things was Pride and Prejudice and Zombies, and then um, he wrote some other things that were kind of like historical horror or literary horror mashups, and I had read Pride and Prejudice and Zombies when it first came out, because I was like, that's like a funny concept, and I just, I didn't really like it that much. I thought the idea was funny, and it was just sort of executed in a way that I didn't care about that much so then I sort of like wrote off all the other ones I was like yeah I'm not gonna check these out anymore but this is way better in my opinion yeah I had actually Seth Graham Smith came onto my radar because as a graduation from college gift or a birthday gift for some reason my friend Stephen gave me a book called How to Survive a Horror Movie which is one of those like novelty kind of like joke books But you could tell that the person who read it really loved horror movies and really understood how the formulas made them work. And, like, it was not... Sometimes those books come across as, like, poking fun at people who like this. And that book was clearly a labor of love by someone who cared very much about the movies he was talking about. And I was obsessed with it. I read it, like, five times. It is not a long book. But it just, there was always, like, new little things in it that I found to delight me. And new movies that I had never heard of that I had to look up and watch. So, when Pride and Prejudice and Zombies came out, I put it on my radar to read. But I just don't care about Pride and Prejudice, unlike every other woman our age in the entire universe, I guess. Uh, I've never cared for it. I never cared for the original book. I never cared for any of the movies. And I kept meaning to get to it. And then when this book was announced, I was like, now that sounds more my style. And I borrowed it from the bookstore like the day it came out and stayed up all night reading it. This is one of those things that like, like my, um, my friends in Florida have this joke that I make things happen, like that I'll want a thing and then it starts to exist in the world. And I think really what it is. Oh, Kale, that's. That's the secret. Okay, no, yeah. I, I think what it is is that I'm the most basic, so that basically anything that happens I get super excited about. Um, but, like, we have an ongoing, well, not joke, I guess, but meme about Abraham Lincoln where he's, like, our, you know, sixth best friend or whatever. Oh, great. We, uh, Lincoln's we everyone's to- best friend. He's right? America's best friend. <laughs> we went to Disney one time, and they have pins that say I'm celebrating, and we just all wrote Abraham Lincoln on them, and so all day everyone around the park was like, because they're supposed to congratulate you. So everyone's looking at them going, you, what? Like, what happened? And we, 
were discussing Abraham Lincoln with one of the cast members in line at the Jungle Cruise. And like, we went on the ride and we got off and he was standing at the end of it. So we were like, oh, you know, bye. And we're walking across like at, at Walt Disney World, there's like this, you know, sort of empty space between the Jungle Cruise and the next thing. So we're walking across it and all of a sudden behind us, we hear this voice go, four score. And like, all of us turned around and we're like, seven years ago. And then a whole bunch of parents grabbed their children. Uh, <laughs> and held them close. Because they were like, what the fuck is going on? Um, but like, when this movie, when this when this book came out, I was like, I have to, I have to read it. And then when the movie came out, I was like, no, we have to go opening night. I have to be there for this spectacle. It's amazing. I love everything about it. Another other guy also in medium key obsessed with Abraham Lincoln. Uh, we've <laughs> we've discussed this a little bit in our episode that we did about a little bit. The whole episode was <laughs> <laughs> we. We've discussed this at length in our previous episode about uh, killing Lincoln by Bill O'Reilly, which is terrible. Don't read that. Do read this. Um, but I'm, I'm from Illinois, and then I spent some time living in Indiana, which is Lincoln's boyhood home and, and the land of Lincoln. Both those states have Lincoln on their license plates, because like, if he's associated with your state, that's the best thing about your state, and I'm, that's all. Uh, <laughs> Kentucky also celebrates being the birthplace of Lincoln. Like All three of these states are like, he was here, that's the best thing we got going. And I, and that's maybe true. Not not because those states are bad, just because Abraham Lincoln is so great. So I, I for me also reading this book was kind of like um i don't know kate reading like stephanie plum in new jersey where i was just like i've been there i've been there i know that place i know this place and i uh i mean there weren't vampires when i was at those places but or were there oh like, shit, how would you know fun. yeah <laughs> uh i didn't notice any people wearing like steampunk sunglasses but <laughs> Maybe I wasn't, I didn't know what to look for then. Uh, so anyway, so we love this book, I think, is safe to say. It, yeah, it's pretty great. Like, pause this episode, go and request it from your library, read it, and then come back so that you too can appreciate the joy of what we're about to talk about. Um, and then I also do want to say, as much as I love the enjoyment of this book, I guess I do want to break this uh, uh, like uh, we'll go through the book and talk about the plot and like what we like I do have a segment of things that I wish the book had more of and then I also have a few things like I also watched the movie and en- enjoyed the shit out of the movie but then I do have a few things I thought that the movie had that this book could have benefited from parentheses the movie had more black characters and um, but especially like now in the way like we just talked about with Sookie Stackhouse and like the confederate vampires and like why are we doing this and like with the HBO do- wanting to do confederate and all this kind of talk of like why are people obsessed with this alternate history where like the bad guys won what about it and like I agree I'm sick of that I don't care about like what if the Nazis won what if this what I do care about is like what if the good guys won but they won even harder than you knew like, like, what if not only did they win the Civil War, but also they won the fucking war against vampires in America? What if that? Why isn't all history, all alternate history, just that? Yeah, and um, I think we'll we'll probably talk about this a little bit later. There are things, like I said, I first read this when it first came out, which I think was like 2008, 2009. Yeah. It was a while ago. And obviously the country is in a much different place right now than it was then. And there were some things 
on this reread that I thought about a lot harder than I did the first time I read it, but I think we'll get to that. I think uh, it's time for us to start talking about the actual book. Yeah. Uh, So this book starts actually as a frame story about a person who I believe we're supposed to believe is Seth Graham Smith. Yes. uh, Because he signs it at the end who planned on being a famous novelist, but got stuck in the very small upstate New York town that he grew up in, working at the Five and Dime, and just, like, never got out of there. Was always sort of, like, half working on a book when someone asked him, but, like, got married and had kids, and was just managing this store for the old couple who owned it. And uh, one year, this gentleman moved to town named Henry, who, like, was, like, a hipster, always going around. Like, he looked like a tech, you know, millionaire, and wore sunglasses inside all of the time and would chat with him and one day out of the blue asked him about why he never finished a book and they have like this really in-depth conversation that the narrator doesn't understand why he's having it with this gentleman and then he leaves and then when Henry leaves town he leaves a package for a narrator who opens it up one day and discovers that it's these little leather bound journals that claim to be the journals of Abraham Lincoln and are filled with things about him killing vampires. So he thinks it must be a joke because it also comes with a letter that says like, you've been entrusted to write a book based on these journals. Like that is your job now. Tell no one, show no one. You can't talk about it with anyone. Like once you do it, I'll come back and talk to you. So he thinks it's a joke until Henry, like, shows up and is very obviously a vampire. There's a thing he's, he's like, I couldn't write down or describe what happened to you, but he spent an hour definitively proving the vampires were real. Yeah. (laughs) By the way, the movie dispenses with this frame narrative completely, and I think that was a solid choice, because I don't think this added a ton to the book. Yeah, it definitely felt like he was afraid the concept wasn't enough to stand on its own, so he came up with this sort of dive, a slow slide into the concept for the reader, instead of just opening with, like, Abraham Lincoln. Although, like, I guess now that I'm thinking about it, his narrative voice is consistent throughout the book, so who knows? Yeah, I mean, I I didn't mind it. Like, it wasn't that long. It was fine, but I didn't think it was totally necessary yeah but so then we transition into the book that this gentleman has written that starts with all of like the historical stuff we know about lincoln that he was born here and that his father was kind of a shithead and you know they moved all these times because his father would just find land and build a house on it and then the person who owned the land would challenge him with the deed to the property so they would have to move and do it all over again And his father never wanted to make enough product to sell. He never wanted to farm enough so that he could sell things. He never wanted to make enough carpentry so that he could sell any more than they needed just to survive. So they were always kind of destitute, even though they did have enough means to rise above that. But his father was never interested in that. And um, one day when he was young, his mother's aunt and uncle were visiting them and he woke up in the middle of the night and went out to use the outhouse and saw his father arguing with this one-armed man and the next day his aunt and uncle or his mother's aunt and uncle got really sick and they got worse and worse and worse and then they died and then not long after his mother got very sick and got worse and worse and worse and then she died. And in in uh, your standard normie history, it was milk sickness 
yes, what yes. killed them. But in actuality, of course, <laughs> uh, the gentleman that he had seen arguing with his father said before, while Abe was eavesdropping, if you can't pay me, like, I'll find another way to take it from you. And his mother, like, as she's dying, her last entreaty is for him to live, which becomes sort of like a recurring theme. So he's, like, very upset and very pissed at his father. And just, like, in general, he and his sister both are just not pleased with any of this. Uh, And eventually his father remarries and brings his stepmother and all of her children home with him. And one night... While his father is very drunk, because he would get very drunk, he tells him the story of his grandfather's death, which he had told a million times, was that one of the people from the local Native American tribe had killed him because that's what Indians do, which obviously we know is incredibly racist, but... Um, Also, we were on their land. Yeah, we kind of deserved it. Right. But instead, while he's super drunk this night, Thomas Lincoln is like, no, it wasn't. That's not what happened. A white-skinned demon person jumped down from a tree and, like, beat the shit out of my dad and then ripped his jugular open and drank from it as if it were a fountain. And I made up that story because I knew that no one would ever believe that a vampire killed my father. And Lincoln is just like, fucking vampires? Like, what? (laughs) What? Why are we being haunted by these beasts? Yeah. What have I done? And he finds out, oh, and after his father says that, he says, I've seen two vampires. The first one was that the one who killed my father. The second one was the one-armed man who he had made the deal with. And it turned out he had gotten a loan from him with the idea that he would be able to pay it back because since he didn't own anything, because he would just steal land from all of these people. <laughs> Which, I mean, to- a lot of pioneers, like, it wasn't like it was just Thomas, like, people were a little more casual then. Yeah, but he didn't own anything, so he couldn't go to the bank to get a loan because he had nothing to put down. So he got a loan from this shady vampire, and then they had a drought, so he couldn't make any money to sell anything. So he ended up not being able to pay the loan back, and that's when the vampire came back, and uh, Abe realizes that a vampire killed his aunt and uncle, and then his mother, and his father is the one who made it happen, and he, like, hates his father after that. You know, like, we complain a lot about fridging as a narrative device, but really, history is the biggest fridger of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That like, milk sickness, though. I know, I was reading about milk sickness, and I'm like, how do you drink that much milk? (laughs) I mean, I know, you know, like, the the cows eat bad things, and that's what happened, but I'm just like, how much milk, how much of this poison milk do you have to drink before you actually die from it? Hell, they didn't have seltzer back then, they didn't have Starbucks. (laughs) True, there was no polar. (laughs) I mean, uh, these were, this is even worse than boxcar children times. <laughs> the ambiguous 50 year stretch of boxcar children times. <laughs> uh, yeah, and uh, and I will add the heart, you know, of course, losing your mom sucks no matter what, but for Lincoln, historically as well as in this book, um, she was the one who, like, really encouraged him and taught him how to read and, and, you know, understood that her child was gifted in a way that 
her garbage husband, Thomas Lincoln, did not care for. But uh, luckily, and this is highlighted in the book as well as in in real history, his new stepmother was as well, like a a kind woman who also encouraged that. Yeah. So uh, after learning that vampires are real, Christ, what happens? He decides he's going to hunt them, I guess. He's going to kill every vampire in America. Yeah, he he writes that in his journal. That's his goal. But he's still, like, a teen at this point. Yeah. Um, But he does, um, he gets a job uh, writing to to take a boat down to New Orleans to, like, sell some stuff. Um, Has that, that happened then? That happens later, doesn't it? That happens a little later, yeah. He meets Henry first. Man, I made this outline for myself and then I'm already, like... (laughs) Does he meet Henry while he's on the boat? Or does Henry come to him... I know at one point Henry comes to him in the woods, but I don't know if it's before or after that. Yeah, I feel like first he meets Henry because he already knows when he goes down there that, like, there are some vampires because he sees that one vampire, but he's not doing anything wrong. So he doesn't go after him because he remembers Henry. All right. So he he hunts these vampires and I think he successfully kills one. And then with he, his like, ex. Oh, by the way, there's also like a montage where he's like, I got to get strong to kill these vampires. So I'm just going to like train hard with my axe and it's pretty great maniac yeah. plays in the background yeah and he like studies he goes on errands to towns with larger libraries so he can read all the books and take notes about like vampire folklore so he comes up with all this stuff with like garlic and holy water and all of these things and then one night he goes after a vampire that's been killing local children and the vampire gets the better of him because it surprises him because she's a woman an old woman and he's like what that can't be right and it's he hesitates just long enough for her to get the jump on him and she tries to drown him and he wakes up and he is tied he's tied to a bed <laughs> with a handsome gentleman <laughs> is this how all of my abraham lincoln fan fiction <laughs> and uh this this man henry has saved him and henry is a vampire and it takes Abe, Abe like goes on a hunger strike, he's not gonna let Henry near him, and he's not gonna eat, and he finally gives in, and Henry explains, like, yes, I'm a vampire, yes, there are lots of terrible vampires, but, like, just, like, I won't judge all men by the actions of one man, like, you shouldn't judge all vampires by the actions of one vampire, and I wanna teach you about us and train you so that you can kill them. He's like, hashtag not all vampires. Yes. <laughs> Because uh, Abe's too interesting to die. He keeps saying that to Abe all the yes. time. Like, some people are too interesting to die. Also, I want to interject here real quick with a question that I I don't think was addressed in the book, but maybe I just missed it. Do they ever say what Henry does for food? Because it's not like Twilight, I don't think, where he's like, I just eat, like, mountain lions. And it's not like True Blood, because synthetic blood doesn't exist yet. So I think he's still, like, low-key killing humans, but just not, like, children? I think at one point he makes a comment that, like, there are vampires who, like, make it a point to, like, only kill people who are near death or who are bad people. And then there are vampires who, like, kill babies. And that he, I think... I remember that at some point, like, I don't think he specifically says, like, yo, like, this is how I feed, but he does, like, make a, a, like, that there are people who kill children, and then there are people who are like, I'm only gonna kill murderers. So he's like Batman, basically. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, I can't, somebody's gonna say Batman doesn't kill people. I know Batman doesn't kill people. But also, like... God, you fake I know! Oh, (laughs) touch your move. (laughs) And I think 
too, like, because the narrative is from the point of view of somebody who be, who's even further removed from this than Lincoln himself was, like, a lot of what Henry's actual thoughts and feelings are obfuscated. Like, he's not laying it all on the line. He doesn't tell Lincoln any of this because I feel like he maybe thinks that if he does explain to Lincoln how he's feeding, Lincoln will say, oh, well, it's still bad to kill bad. Like, you can't just fucking kill people. You're as bad as the rest of them. Yeah, it's not great. Also, by the way, in the movie... Henry is Howard Stark wearing like steampunk yep. sunglasses. <laughs> Wait, uh, by Dominic Cooper. <sighs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's great. <laughs> I lived for it. <laughs> so there's this really weird thing where everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I'm gay because I talk about it all the time. But what? For some reason. <laughs> Dominic Cooper as Howard Stark is incredibly attractive to me, and I don't know why, because he's just a more asshole version of Tony Stark. Like, he's just a bigger prick than Tony Stark, and I should hate him even more, but I somehow find him attractive. And not Dominic Cooper in general, just him in that very specific role. That is interesting, because, like, I get it. Like, Howard Stark can get it, but uh, it does seem off-brand for you. Yeah. Anyway, um, so Henry teaches Abe how to hunt vampires, which parts of the folklore are wrong, like, garlic doesn't do anything, for instance, and all sorts of other stuff. And once he's trained up for a while, he uh, sends him back and says, like, every once in a while, I might send you the name of one of these bad vampires so that you can go and kill them. By the way, I want to say one thing, again, that I thought the movie did more smoothly than the books, which is that in the movie, uh, in the book, by the way, like, it's basically just, like, very gravity. You have to, like, stake them and then cut their head off and, like, it's basically... Is there anything else? It's basically that. Like, you have to separate the head and, like, really stake them hard. In the book, or I mean in the movie, they're like, oh, they are weak to silver. So he coats his axe in silver, and it's so dope. And and then there's uh, a a big finale moment where they have a big, like, citywide scrap drive and collect everybody's, like, silver dishes and make them into silver bullets. And it's like, that is awesome. That makes, like, it's just as a better moment, I think, than the book. Sorry to the book. Uh, but I just wanted to mention that. The problem with the book is that the book is actually trying to hew close to, like, actual history. Yes. So you can't just go in and say, well, of course Lincoln asked for all the silver in this town and nobody ever wrote it down. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, I mean, that rings true, honestly. Checks out. <laughs> so Henry trains him up and he goes back uh, home and does as he said he would. Henry will send him, like, names and addresses and he'll go out there and kill these vampires. And... He does it for a while, and then he gets that job that we were talking about before, where he uh, has to build a boat and use that boat to take the go- take goods down to New Orleans and sell them. Uh, and then his the person who is sending him on this job paid for him to come back on a steamboat. So he does that, and when he's in New Orleans, uh, he does see a whole bunch of vampires, and be- like keeping Henry's thoughts in his mind is like, okay, well. I, you know, I don't know for sure that these are bad vampires, like, they're not killing people, they just seem to be hanging out, so whatever. Is this the trip where he follows them to the plantation, or is it the next New Orleans trip? This is the trip where he meets Poe, right? Yeah. This is the trip where he meets Poe. I, um, I don't think he, it's the next trip where he goes to the plantation and sees the, like, really fucked up things, but, yeah. uh, like, in, in real life history and it's sort of in this as well this trip to new orleans is like the first time that he really he sees a slave auction and he's like 
oh shit, like slavery's real fucked up. And like he had always, you know, um, because of like his religious upbringing and, and whatever, like he was always like, oh yeah, slavery's bad. Yeah, it's bad. But then he's, this is the first time he like sees it, it and he's like, oh, it's so bad. It's like slavery's so bad. Um, so that is influential. And then, um, of course, in the book, he meets Edgar Allan Poe, who he never did meet in real life, as far as we know. <laughs> Yeah, he he sees Poe hanging out in the shadows, dressed all goth-like with the sunglasses that vampires wear. So he thinks he's a vampire, so he starts to follow him. And I guess he's wearing, like, his big vampire-killing coat. So he also is, like, hiding in the shadows because he's going after Poe, who he thinks is a vampire, and he chases him to a cemetery. And then he goes to attack him, and he's like... And Poe's like, you're a vampire. And he's like, no, you're a vampire. <laughs> and neither of them are vampires, spoiler alert. This was happened to Poe all the time, honestly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but he's like the first person out, the first person person that he's ever seen who like knows about vampires. So they get a drink together and they talk and it becomes very clear that Poe's attraction to vampires is definitely like aesthetically and like... In, like, a, wow, like, I really respect and appreciate them kind of way, as opposed to Lincoln, who's like, I like murdering them because they're bad. <laughs> Post doing it for the vine. Lincoln's more <laughs> of an Instagram story kind of thing. So. <laughs> but they still, like, meet and talk and drink together and have a good time. And then he goes back up north to home and kills a whole bunch more vampires. And... I mean, this is around when he he becomes of age of 21 and and can leave his family, and it's around when he goes to New Salem. Yeah. Which is where I went on every school trip from, like, second to sixth grade. Uh, It's it's now, like, a a historical village where you go and see them, like, churning butter and whatnot. But it's where Lincoln worked as a young man and, like, delivered the mail famously and, like, stuff like that. And also where uh, he he met a friend who would help him kill vampires. Yeah, he um, sort of, like, starts to establish himself as a man in, like, a way, like, outside of his father. Like, has very hardworking and very thoughtful and very honest and very, like, all of the things that we think of as Lincoln. Like, it's the first time the larger world is seeing them. And he meets, what the fuck is his name, Jack? Joshua Speed? No, no. Joshua Speed's later. Oh, That's why Jack I paused, because I couldn't remember. The Clary Grove Boys. Yes. Which yes. are also real. <laughs> yeah, he meets these, like, rough and tumble gang of guys from another town and gets into it with one of them and manages to best the leader. And the leader's like, well, damn, like, if you can pin me, then, like, I'm on your side and no one can, like, fuck with you. And if they do, me and my gang are going to fuck with them. And they become besties. And this is real, by the way. Like, we got a real scrappy president. (laughs) My, My favorite thing about the Clary Grove Boys, like, wrestling match is that there are, like... 80 eyewitness accounts of how this went down and half of them are like oh yeah no Lincoln got a leg over and fucking took him and half of them are like well Lincoln didn't really win but Jack Armstrong super respected him for you know holding his own and he just decided to let him win and I'm like you guys (laughs) you were all there Uh, um, Who lives, who dies, who tells your story, Jack Armstrong. (laughs) True. (laughs) Uh, He 
becomes like besties with Lincoln. And at some point in here, Lincoln takes another trip to New Orleans. And this is where he sees another slave auction. And he notices that one of the people who's buying up slaves is very indiscriminate. Like he's buying sick slaves and children and women and old people and just like just the cheapest, the most inexpensive slaves. Yeah. Uh, So he follows this person home because he thinks that this is suspicious. Um, (laughs) Why would you really? (laughs) And when he gets to the plantation, at first he sees the foreman feeding them like really nice food. And he's like, oh, maybe I was wrong. And then he realizes that the slave, the owner, plantation owner and his friends are all vampires and this is where we get this, like, main, one of the main conceits of the novel, which is that vampires liked America because America had slavery so that they could literally just buy people to eat, which is awful. Like, slavery in and of itself is awful. This is also awful. What's interesting, as we learn as it goes on, is it's not, I, I like, vaguely remember, because it was so fucking long ago that I first read this book, being concerned that it was going to turn into a, like, oh, like, the only, the real reason slavery existed was because vampires and, like, you know, white people, we were just caught up. No, like, it is painted as the white people in power are like, yes, vampires like slavery, we like slavery, we're going to team up with them so that we can keep it around because... Like, this is, we can't, we can't have slavery abolished. Like, we need to keep this practice going. So we're going to team up with literal hell demons, because that's more important to us. I, I was looking into this, um, and a lot of the reactions that I found were actually reactions to the movie and not the book. And I think because the movie came out in such a way that made people stop and go, wait, what? Whereas, like, a book release for something like this is sort of lower key. Like, there's not a lot of press about it. Yeah. But the movie was such a spectacle that a whole bunch of people paid attention to it. And there were several historians that were super concerned that this was a narrative that was built to let off the U.S. and the South from the ramifications of slavery and from all the bad that we have wrought and continue to, to do, actually. Um... And I'm, like, reading through these and thinking, okay, but have you read the book? Like, I I haven't seen the movie in a while. I didn't watch it last night. Like, heard out of it. So I don't, I don't remember the, the sort of narrative overtone of the movie. But the book is very, very purposefully, you know. Yeah. Um, this is wrong regardless. But also, fucking vampires? Like. Yeah. yeah. Like, it super does not let off white Southerners. It actually, it, it, like, blames them more, yeah. I think, for bringing this sort of thing into the conflict. For for saying, hey, we're cool with this, you're cool with this, you gotta eat, we gotta eat, let's figure something out. It also adds an interesting narrative wrinkle that I think, because I, I, I feel like a lot of, and I, I assume you guys would agree, that a lot of Civil War narratives are like... The South was good. The South was bad. The North was good. Like, we, the North people, Northern people didn't want slavery. And they were all, which is not true no, at no. all. <laughs> and I feel like this also makes the Northerners more complicit because we haven't gotten there yet. But once the Civil War starts, there's a lot of like, well, we have to get rid of the vampires. Like, we have to go to war because of the vampires, not because we think slavery is morally wrong and we need to stop it, which is the narrative that we're taught a lot in school. But, you know, oh, because we have to get rid of vampires, which I think also kind of 
in addition to, you know, this whole vampire plot making the uh, white Southerners look worse, it also makes the Northerners look like they, which is more historically accurate, even though it was not because of vampires. (laughs) Yeah, like, specifically Stephen, like, Lincoln's kind of rival Stephen Douglas is shown as, like, specifically allied with the vampires, um, which uh, Stephen Douglas was... I mean, pro-slavery is hard. Like, he wasn't as anti-slavery as Lincoln. And there are... Lincoln's attitude towards slavery was, like, more complex than, like, he freed the slaves, Uh, you know, uh, because there are speeches and writings where he's like, if I I could save the Union without freeing a single slave, I'd do it. If I had to free all the slaves to save the Union, I'd do that. But I, I mean, he was a politician, and he was, like, trying to do a lot of stuff. I think... He definitely did hate slavery. Like, he as a person found it morally reprehensible. Like, there's so much of his writings. There's so much. Like, he as a person did not like it, but I think he also, you know, he was a product of his times and he understood, like, that this was an institution. Like, slavery being around, like, fucked up everybody in America, like, morally. Every white person. Yeah, the thing that stuck out to me really in the book, having, reading it the second time, um, was that there's a part in the book where Lincoln talks about how it's like I think it's like a letter he's writing, but he talks about how slaves are not like the black population are not as good as him, but they deserve to be able to make their own way. And like that stuck out to me because we have a tendency as a nation to lionize Lincoln and to say, Oh, he's great, no, he emancipated all the slaves and like the Emancipation Proclamation in actuality, freed no slaves. Because it didn't free the northern slaves, and it didn't free the southern slaves, because it didn't free the slaves in the places where, you know, they had, they like, the north already controlled it, because they wanted to get in good with the white landowners, and it didn't free the slaves that the north didn't control, because the north didn't control it. So, there are a whole bunch of letters and speeches where, like, Lincoln's like, oh, well, you know, this is bad, but they're not as good uh, good as us, we should send them to Liberia, which is a whole other crazy bullshit thing that history did. I actually appreciated that of the book, that maybe people reading this and coming to it will read it and realize that this was not, like, Lincoln wasn't the greatest guy ever. He wasn't, you know, he wasn't actually our sixth best friend. Like, you know, he didn't do this out of a sense of, you know, wanting to feel good about himself or the country. What he wanted was for the Union not to fall apart, and this was how he thought he could do it. Yeah, and I think Renata, when she was saying this, I was thinking, like, that's a good way to put it, is, like, yes, he was against the idea of slavery as a whole. He did not like slavery. He was against it. He thought it was morally reprehensible. He was not doing this out of a sense of all people are equal, including black people. It was like slavery is bad. So we have to end it. It was not kind of what we, I think sort of paint it as now as like, Oh, like he realized that, you know, there's equality for, you know, all humans, that was not the case. Like, yeah, like, there's a point where he says something like, you know, are are black people not as smart as me or not as smart as white yeah. people? Who knows? Maybe, probably, but, like, they still don't deserve to be slaves, and it's just like, ouch, like, yeah, yeah. that is your hero, guys. <laughs> and, you know, that is something that, like, KL, like, I hope that people reading this are like, oh... Wow. <laughs> <laughs> this is not what they taught me in school. And, you know, being the Southerner here, I was legit taught about the War of Northern Aggression. So, you know, maybe we should look into how we teach things to children anyway. <laughs> yeah. um, I will uh, I will interject also in the 
in the movie, this character, this character, this, like, real historical person is not a character in the book, um, which is William Johnson. Uh, he was a free black man who was Abraham Lincoln's personal um, valet and barber. And they met in Springfield, and then he went to D.C. with him. In the movie, he is uh, Sam Wilson, and he's great. And also, in the movie, though, they show that they had been childhood friends in Indiana. And then, um, and this is, was a historical thing where people would, white, where white people would take free blacks and, like, kidnap them and take them to the South. And then they were just, like, sold into slavery, even though they weren't slaves to start out with. And the movie shows that happening to, like, child Will Johnson, which we don't really have a record of that ever having happened. But it is a piece of the movie. It, like, showed how they had been friends and how that sort of also was an early anti-slavery moment for Lincoln. And also in the movie, it was that vampire landlord who did this also. So in the movie, it was, like, a quick way to set up all this stuff of, like, here's this person and here's the vampire and, like, everything's fucked. But anyway, in the movie... Sam Wilson is awesome and like joins him to fight vampires and I do kind of wish he were in the book. Yeah. Uh, so let's cruise through some more of the plot. Uh, <laughs> Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> no, we all did it. Um, so it was important. Everything we said was important. Yeah. And I think it all would have come out later yeah. anyway. But um, so Abe meets Jack Robinson. They become besties after a time. Abe tells him about vampires and brings him on a vampire hunt to, like, prove it to him. And after that, he becomes Abe's ally in fighting vampires, and he trains him up the way Henry trained him up. And they go out on vampire hunts together. Abe meets a woman named Aunt Ru- uh, Anne Rutledge, who he falls in love with. Uh, but she's engaged to someone else, but he has been gone for a long time. Like, he left for New York and hasn't been back in years, I think. So she's hoping and he's hoping that they can call off that engagement so that he can marry her. And um, during this time, too, he runs for Congress, he runs for state legislator and loses and then runs for state legislator again and wins. So when he comes back after his term in Springfield to ask Anne to marry him, he writes a letter to her fiance and says, like, listen, here's where we are. Like, I'm in love with her. You haven't seen her in a long time. I'm sure that there are other prospects for you. Like, could you please honor our love and call this off? He basically, he writes a letter that is Jolene. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm going to be stuck in my head for the rest of my life. Uh, so he, the fiance shows up and meets with her at night and she calls for Abe the next morning and she's not feeling well. And he quickly discovers that she has the, the, what do they call it? The slow, slow death, quick, fat, something. There's a name for when a vampire feeds you his blood, but just enough to kill you and not enough to turn you. And that's what, that's how his mother and her aunt and uncle died. And that's how Anne is dying. Like her fiance forced her to drink some of his blood somehow and she's dying and she does die and he's like fucked up about it and like they think he's suicidal for a while and when that happens Henry comes to visit him again and like they talk about things and Henry once again says like some people are too interesting to die like you have to stick around this isn't how you die you know this it's you can overcome this and he does and he he and Jack hunt more vampires and he runs for Congress and he wins. So he has to move to Springfield 
where he meets uh, Joshua Speed, who uh, shares a room with him because he can't afford to rent a room on his own. They literally have, like, a fandom meet-cute of, like, (laughs) I need a place to stay and I don't have any money. Well, I don't know. I guess you can stay in my room. It's the only room in town. (laughs) (laughs) Because there, you know, there's all these rumors about, uh, speculation about Lincoln's sexuality, which is not something that I have studied at all. There are some historical figures that, like, I have dived into that because, like, straight up, there's not a lot of queer people in history, and I'm pretty desperate. (laughs) But, like, knowing that as I was reading it, um, I definitely kind of expected, like, there's all these very homoerotic moments between both Abe and Jack and then Abe and Joshua Speed, and I was like, are they gonna be in love? And they never were. I know, um, it's like, you're already doing an alternate history, uh, just make him kiss, God. Just, just kiss now, actually, if you go to the, uh, Abraham Lincoln wiki page and look for Joshua Speed, there's a whole section on Abraham Lincoln's sexuality, <laughs> I just want to let you know that, Kate. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I mean, there's books about it. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I, and I know, like, I know that it's a thing that, like, historians have studied, and they've, like, went into a lot of depth, and I don't want to say anything one way or the other, because my default tends to be, like, probably that's correct, because people, gay people are so erased in history, queer people are so erased in history, and, like, you know, there are fucking people who still tell you that Alexander Hamilton was straight, and I've read those fucking letters, like, (laughs) no. (laughs) It's just how friendship works back then, Kate. Come on now. So I don't want to say anything definitively, and I've never looked into it, so as I was reading, I was like, hmm, and it never happened, and then uh, later on, Joshua and Jack worked together, and I was like, maybe, and that never happened either. (laughs) Can't two dudes just be friends and kill vampires together? No, they also have to suck each other's dicks, like that. (laughs) It's written down. I didn't hear for it, honestly. <laughs> uh, yeah, so he moves in with Joshua Speed and keeps hunting vampires, and he is visited by Henry a couple times for various reasons, and he meets Mary Todd, and he gets engaged to her and wins over her father, and then Henry comes to visit him again and is like, bro, if you love her, like, that's cool, but just so you know, her father is, like, a major vampire sympathizer. And this is where we get kind of a little bit more background on how entrenched the rich Southern white people are with the vampire culture. It's where Henry gives a lot more details on, like, this is what's happening with slavery. Like, this is, you know, a thing. Like, they ally themselves with the vampires on purpose for these ends and your future father-in-law is a huge one. So he breaks up with Mary Todd and... Which IRL, I mean, he was, like, she was from Kentucky. He was, like, a slave owner and he was like, ugh. But now it's like, ugh, double, uh, vampires and slaves. Um, and then after something happens and he decides that, like, it's worth it because he loves her and he's gonna do it anyway and that just means that he'll have to bring down her father along with everyone else... He continues, like, his rise, obviously, through politics, and... It, this this book, I feel like, is kind of, like, top-heavy. It spends a lot of time in, like, his young years and, like, uh, learning about vampires, and then it's like, well, and then he's president. Like, it happens, like, real quickly here towards this, like, middle end. Which is interesting because, like, I mean, I haven't read a whole bunch of Lincoln biographies. I know there are roughly 800 of them. But Lincoln didn't like to talk about his early years, and there's a whole bunch of stuff that no one knows. Like, no one knows anything about it. 
So the fact that Seth Graham Smith was like, oh, nothing happened in it. Like, you know, he refuses to tell anyone about it. So obviously we'll just fill it in. I I think that's interesting. And I think that's kind of like the core of this where it's like it starts off with. And here's the thing. I kind of also wish this book had been annotated because there are a lot of like details in here that like were true that like I, I know were true. And then somewhere like it started off with like. And I found this this journal of, like, Lincoln's childhood. And I was like, I immediately Googled it. Because I was like, he didn't have paper, bitch. Like, there's no Lincoln childhood diary. And there's there's not. So, like, this is all fictive. But I think he is, like, taking these gaps and being like, this is what's interesting. This is why there's these gaps. Because of vampires, obviously. And not just because he was too poor to have paper. Yeah. And so he, after he marries Mary Todd, he, like, kind of gives up vampire hunting for a while. And it's like, I have a wife now, like, we have a baby, I can't be out getting, and he, he has a vampire hunt that goes very badly, and he almost dies. And he's like, this is it, like, this is my last one. Henry has to come in and, and help him, I think. Someone saves him at the end, and he's like, that's it, like, I'm not vampire hunting anymore. Um, yeah, it was Henry, because Henry realized it was uh, a trap, but he couldn't, anyway, yeah. Yeah, so he invites after um another thing that he keeps doing is as people die like after Anne dies when henry comes to visit abe he's like i could make her into a vampire for you oh and Abe thinks about it and he's like no like i can't i can't do that to her like i can't because henry had a whole thing like oh immortality isn't as good as you think like it's great for the first hundred years it's boring for the second hundred years it's pretty okay for the next hundred years and after (laughs) that it's just garbage (laughs) Um, so he's like, no, I can't do that to her. Um, when Abe and Mary Todd's first child dies, he comes and offers again and again. Abe's like, no, like, I I can't do that to my kid. He'll be a child forever. And like, I can't live with that. So now that Abe is a congressman, a senator, he gets a letter from Henry telling him to come to New York because there's like an important vampire meeting that he has to, or an important vampire hunt he has to come on. So he brings the whole family and he goes out for this meeting and he gets knocked unconscious by these vampires. And he wakes up in like a room full of vampires and also William Seward. Yes. And... They, like, essentially find out that there is a war against, like, the the vampires are gearing up for war, that they need a president, somebody to run for president who will start to, you know, shore up disinterest, dis bad feelings about this, like, upcoming war and about slavery in general, uh, so that they can help drive out the vampires, and Abe tentatively is like, okay, and... He ends up running for president, which there's a note in the narrative to make sure, because, like, Henry says, like, we'll make sure that things go the way they need to go. But there's, like, definitely a note in the narrative that, like, even though Henry was prepared to, like, fake the results, he did really win. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he moves to D.C., and then, like, the war happens, and they fight against the vampires, and they eventually win. And... I mean, again, this all happens, like, pretty quickly. Because yeah. I think the assumption is also, like, well, you kind of know this part. Like, you know yeah. this. You know. So he, Abe, as time goes on, like, Abe gets less concerned about being guarded by anyone. Oh, and after a vampire kills, which one dies? Willie? Yeah. yeah. Every, vampire... Everybody. Everybody but yeah. Robert. Yes, yes. Uh... <laughs> everybody but JGL. <laughs> <laughs> so... Um, one day while the Lincoln boys are playing, guarded by three vampire guards, an assassin comes towards 
the White House with a gun. So the vampire guards run to address the assassin. And he says, like, they gave me $10 and told me to walk towards the White House with a gun. Like, I swear. And they're like, who? And then they hear one of the boys scream. So they run around and a vampire had given Willie a message for his father, which he relays, which is like, basically like, vampires are awesome. The South is going to win. Like, stop. And Willie comes down with this blood sickness from a vampire, you know, feeding him some of his blood. And after he dies, once again, Henry offers to, like, turn him into a vampire. And Lincoln fights Henry. (laughs) There's a scene, too, where he tells, before this, where he tells his cabinet about vampires because he realizes... He realizes that in Washington, vampires are an open secret, but not everyone is super aware of how literal it is. So he sits his cabinet down and is like, vampires are a thing. And yes. one guy walks out. I can't remember who. I think it, honest to God, I think it's Sam and P. Chase. <laughs> I think God I'm right. It, Sam and- I think before we started recording, I said to Renata, do you remember why we were obsessed with Sam and P. Chase? <laughs> because we were. <laughs> and we think it's just because his name was funny. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sam and P. Chase is still a hilarious name, and yeah. he won't cotton to vampires. Yeah. So after uh, Willie is killed and Henry comes to talk to Abe, Abe won't see him for a long time. And finally, Henry like goes in, and they get into a literal fight where like Abe tries to kill Henry, and Henry goes to defend himself, and then Abe basically begs him to kill him, and he releases him and is like, bro like take a deep breath and repeats his like some people are too interesting to die and Abe says like I never want to see another vampire including you like never again so they win the war Abe keeps asking for less and less security and he sends his vampire security away and goes into a little bit more detail about the assassin John Wilkes Booth who's a vampire obviously (laughs) And it refers to, and we talked about this in the Lincoln episode, the dream that Lincoln historically had about his own funeral a few days before he was killed, where, like, he's in the White House and everyone's crying and he goes, there's a casket, and he asks someone, why is everyone upset? And they're like, the president is dead. And he's assassinated. They detail, like, the hilarious assassination attempts that all go wrong with everyone else that night and talk about the Lincoln funeral and how, you know, people tried to break into the tomb and steal his body for years and then, like, ends on this cryptic note with, but if they had gotten into the casket, they would find it empty. Which is another thing, like, historically, there were all these Lincoln grave robbing attempts. Yeah. So then we get the epilogue, which is Lincoln and Henry as vampires together, watching Martin Luther King give the speech at the Lincoln Memorial. And that's the end of the book. Yeah. It rules. In the movie, by the way, he doesn't, he doesn't turn Lincoln into a vampire. And how the movie ends is we see Henry about to tell, like, we don't actually see who he's talking to. I feel like maybe it was kind of implying it was JFK. I'm not sure. We see him talking to somebody who we don't see his face, and he's about to give him the same spiel of, like, vampires are real, and here's how to, like, kill him. And that's the end of the movie. Yeah. So that was the book. It was amazing. Just read it. It's real good. I I agree. 
Oh, one other. Okay, now I'm to my list of things that I wish were in this book. Uh, we talked about Joshua Speed. I do wish that was in there. Uh, I wish Walt Whitman were in this because that was another famous writer that Lincoln did have more of a, a little bit of a relationship with than Poe. And then the thing that I couldn't believe wasn't in this is Mary Todd Lincoln, Ghost Hunter. Why isn't that a book? Oh, man, I gotta watch this movie. Yeah. No, I'm sorry. She- no, she's that's not in the movie either. That's what I wish was in both of these. No, but oh. in, in the movie, she does slow-mo kill some dudes like a badass, so yeah. I the movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the movie it still does more right by Mary Todd, but just uh, while you're, you know, because historically she was, I mean, because all her kids died and she got real fucked up about it, obviously, but she got very into, like, seances and, like, mediums and any way to talk to ghosts, and I think feel like that's such a perfect fit for this material why didn't you put it in your book seth i i just keep thinking about we went on this like lincoln trip around illinois when i was out visiting her once and there was like one historical site that was donated by like the family of robert lincoln and then another we went to two historical sites one that was like robert lincoln who was the worst put his mother in an (laughs) asylum because he didn't want to deal with her anymore and he's a garbage human and the other one was like mary todd was a little out there and could not take care of herself anymore and was like not in a good place so robert sent her somewhere where people would take care like it was two very distinct narratives about what happened and i'm sure as with everything the truth lies somewhere in the middle but it was pretty funny yes uh, yeah, it's a good book. You should read it. I think I said that like six times, but that's because it's true. I think we've actually recommended this book as a reader's advisory for other books we've read. <laughs> I think that this does a more nuanced job of looking at like the evils of slavery and how Lincoln dealt with them than it definitely gets more into it than the movie does. The movie kind of glosses over that part in favor of like, oh, also Harriet Tubman's in the movie, by the way, and she fights vampires, and that also. Can I share my favorite piece of actual facts information I learned because we read this book? Yes. So James Speed, who's Josh's brother, was the attorney general. He's the 27th attorney general of the United States. Lincoln tried to give Joshua Speed appointments in government, and every time Joshua Speed was like, nope, nope. Like, I think he served the Kentucky House House of Representatives for one turn and then noped out. Um, James Speed went to Transylvania University. Oh, yeah. Which is apparently in Kentucky. Uh, I don't know why there's a Transylvania University in Kentucky, but I'd really like to. (laughs) You know, that's... I lived not too far from there. So I'd seen your tweets about it, and I was like, oh, yeah, I guess that is funny. I'd, like, seen it so many times, I didn't... I forgot it was funny. I want to say the word (laughs) means... It was new to me. I want to say the word means something about, like, trees... Or something. Let me. I'm gonna look it up. Yeah. What was I gonna say about in the English speaking world? Transylvania has been commonly associated with vampires. What? Due to the influence of Bram Stoker's novel Dracula. (laughs) Which, aside, uh, in addition to it being like essentially Vampire Month on the podcast with three back-to-back episodes about vampires. KL, Renata, and I are all in a book club that's currently reading Dracula. Yes. So it was pretty 24-7 vampires up in this joint recently. It's just vampire month in our yeah. lives, honestly. Yeah. Okay, I have two things. Transylvania is from the Latin meaning beyond the forest, so that's that. It's just like a regular school. It's not like a vampire school. <laughs> yeah, as far as everyone. I know. 
<laughs> um, as far as I know. Come on, Kentucky. You had one thing to do. <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I've said in the podcast before, and I've said it, like, in life, oh, I don't really care about vampires. I'm not that interested in vampires inherently. And that is still true, but, like, I I, I know some people, it's sort of, like, glamorous and sexy, like, vampires, and I think it's gross. Like, to me, it's not, like, a romantic idea, but I think I am warming up to movies and books that are, like, more campy and fun yeah. with vampires, and I think that that's a definite, like, to me, I don't know, I don't know, I don't want to say this now, because maybe I would like it. I, I have the sense that, like, Anne Rice is a little bit more, like, vampires are sexy, and I'm, <laughs> like, maybe not that, but I am here for, like, Abraham Lincoln cutting up a vampire with his axe, and I'm here for sparkly vampires, and, um, I'm not so much here for Dracula, but I'm here for, like, the goofy-ass humans who are against Dracula. Oh my god, I love all of them. Anne Rice is very vampires are sexy, uh, and Lestat as her main character is a ridiculous, like, he's just a ridiculous caricature of a way a person can be. So, if you're reading those books and you're, like, young and you're like, oh, vampires are so sexy, yes, but also, if you're reading them and you're older, he's whiny and he's obnoxious and he's the eight, like the typical brat prince. So I feel like Anne Rice wanted to be like, vampires are sexy and intoxicating and everyone else is like, bro, yeah. did you read the book you wrote? <laughs> Great. Yeah, I would, I would say like with a lot of things, like I'll tell people like, oh, like I'm not like a huge fan of fantasy. I'm not a huge fan of vampires, but... What, for me, that means is that I'm not a person who will be like, oh, like a book about vampires. I haven't even read the summary, but I'm going to take it out of the library. I will read almost anything that is not, like, ultra offensive as long as it's a good story. Like, I, there's a lot of fantasy books that I really love, but I would not be like, I'll read anything. Like, I, I've known people who are like, I'll read anything with, like, a map inside of it. Or I'll read anything with, like, you know, a person riding a dragon on the cover. And I... <laughs> That does not interest me that way. I'll read basically anything with, like, ghost hunting in it. Mm -hmm. But even that's not really true anymore because I'm just so fucking sick of heterosexual romance that, like, I don't want to read about that in particular. You'll read anything with a gay ghost hunter. I will. (laughs) Sign me up. But yeah, like, that tends to be how I feel about vampires, and this is definitely a, this is so interesting, like, I'm definitely on board for it. Um, okay, should we move into the dramatic readings? Sure. Oh, this is great, because it does mention one more tiny detail that I wanted to bring up and forgot. Oh, we totally glazed over this. So, uh, our first dramatic reading is Henry's origin story, which is an origin story slash explanation for the missing Roanoke colony, which was awesome. Yes. Like, I probably have mentioned this on the podcast before. As a child, I was, like, low-key obsessed with Roanoke, the missing colony. It had come up in some, like, weird weird mysteries book. Like, weird true mysteries. I don't even remember what it was, and I don't remember any of the other, like, true mysteries or whatever that were contained in this book. But, like, I was fascinated with Roanoke. And this checks out. Yeah. This is the... I'm gonna skip forward a little bit, but the idea is that uh, Henry came over on that. The first Roanoke colony, if you're unfamiliar with uh, the history, was all men, and it failed. (laughs) So they sent another colony over that was a mixture of men, women, and children with the idea that they would build a community as families grew and, like, build schoolhouses and things and, you know, the population would multiply. And um, when they came back, like, two or three years later, everyone was gone. And this is what the conceit for why everyone was gone is in this book. Eleanor Dare couldn't sleep. 
not while her husband fought for his life a mere 50 yards away. She dressed, wrapped sleeping baby Virginia in a blanket, and walked through the freezing air to Dr. Crowley's building, resigned to spending a restless night by her husband's side in prayer. Upon entering, Mrs. Dare was met with the ghastly sight of Crowley with his mouth around her husband's neck. He withdrew and presented his fangs, drawing screams from her. Thus alerted, several of our men ran into Crowley's building with their swords and crossbows, only to find the woman slaughtered and the infant Virginia in the vampire's claws. Crowley warned the men to retreat. They refused. Having no knowledge of vampires, the men perished at once. Uh, And as with all of the dramatic readings we're doing, these are a mixture of narrative and then huge chunks of, like, straight quotes from Abe's journals or Henry's journals in this case their screams woke the rest of the colonists including henry i dressed and told adiva to do the same thinking it was an attack by the natives i charged into the night with my pistol determined to protect my home to the last but on reaching the clearing in the center of our village i was met with an incredible sight a terrifying sight thomas crowley his eyes black a pair of white razors in his mouth tearing jack barrington in half spilling his innards everywhere I saw friends scattered on the ground, some with limbs missing, some with heads missing. Crowley took notice of me and advanced. I leveled my pistol and fired. The ball found its mark, piercing the center of his chest, but this failed to slow him in the least. He continued to advance. I am not ashamed to admit that all courage left me. I could only think of escape, only of a diva and the unborn child in her belly. Henry turned and ran the 50 yards home as fast as he could. A diva was already waiting in the doorway and he hardly slowed as he grabbed her hand and continued towards the tree line. The coast. Let us make haste to the coast. So they run and they get captured by Crowley and injured and his wife is killed and he's very close to death. By sunrise, Crowley had dragged most of his fellow settlers into the woods. He'd been left no alternative. Explaining a plague was easy, almost as easy as explaining a man falling from a crow's nest or a girl jumping overboard or a fisherman being attacked by savages. But screams in the night, followed by the disappearance of four men, a woman and an infant, that he couldn't explain. They would question him, discover him, and that he couldn't have. One by one, he dragged their battered bodies away. Of his 112 fellow settlers, only one had been spared his wrath. Crowley had hesitated to kill Virginia Dare, a baby that he had personally delivered, the first English soul born in the New World. These things had sentimental value. Besides, she would have no memory of what had happened here, and a young female companion might prove useful in the lonely years to come. He returned from the woods with the baby in his arms. I dare say he was surprised to see me alive, though barely so, struggling to keep my feet while I carved the letters C-R-O in a tree with a knife, my dying effort to expose the identity of my murderer, of my wife and child's murderer. His shock subsided. Crowley could not help his laughter, for I had unwittingly given him a brilliant idea. Setting the baby down and taking my knife, he carved the word Croatoan into a nearby post, all the while smiling at the thought of John White massacring scores of unsuspecting natives in retaliation. So yeah, that's one explanation for what happened at Roanoke. Yes, which if you're if you were not as a child obsessed with this, like one of the biggest clues was those carvings um, that didn't really actually help anybody figure out what happened in real life. All right, let's, I guess, move on to KL's dramatic reading. 
Oh, okay. Uh, yes. This is taken from a bit of the book where Abe and Jack Armstrong are... They're on, like, a stakeout for a vampire, basically. They're hiding in a barn because they know the vampire's going to show up and then they're going to kill him. This is when Abe is deeply in love with Anne Rutledge. Anne Rutledge also deeply in love with Abe, but she does not come up in this scene, <laughs> like, as a speaking character. Jack was giving serious thought to turning his crossbow on Abe. They just made a miserable 200-mile trip north to the town of Chicago, sleeping under the freezing stars of late autumn, trudging through knee-high mud and waist-high water, and the gangland fool done nothing but talk about a girl the whole damned way. Her name is Anne Rutledge. I believe her 20 or 1 in 20 years, though I dare not ask. It matters not. Never has a more perfect creature graced this earth. Never has a man been more in love than I. I shall write of nothing but her beauty in these pages for as long as I live. Armstrong and Lincoln sat with their backs against the rear of the stable stall and their bottoms on the on a bed of loose hay, their breath visible in the cool night air coming off of Lake Michigan. A horse's backside loomed over their heads, every twitch of its tail giving rise to the fear that something naturally foul was about to occur. They'd been waiting for their prey all night, one of them speaking in smiling whispers, the other contemplating murder. <laughs> Have you ever been in love, Jack? Jack gave no answer. It is a strange feeling indeed. One finds oneself intoxicated with happiness for no reason at all. One's thoughts turn to the most peculiar things. Jack pictured a steaming pile of manure dropping into Abe's mouth. <laughs> I long for the smell of her. Do you think me strange for saying so? I long for the smell of her, and for the feeling of her delicate fingers in mine. I long to look at the stable doors opened outside, boot heels against the wooden planks. Abe and Jack readied their weapons. The vampire could not smell us over the animal stench, nor hear his trampling hay. His footsteps ceased. The stall door opened. Before he had time enough to blink, my axe was thrown in his chest, and Jack's arrow shot through his eye and into his brain. He fell backward, shrieking and grabbing at his face as blood ran around the sides of the arrow. Upset by the noise, his horse reared up, and I grabbed it by the bridle for fear that it would trample us both. As I did so, Jack pulled the axe from the vampire's chest, raised it above his head, and brought it down on the creature's face, splitting it clean in two. The vampire was still. Jack raised the axe above his head a second time and brought it down with even greater force. He did this a third, a fourth time, striking the creature's head with the blunt side of the blade again and again until nothing more than a flattened bag of skin and hair and blood remained. My god, Armstrong, what's come over you? Jack pulled the axe blade. Crunch. From what had formerly been the vampire's face, he looked up at Abe, out of breath. I pretended he was you. Abe held his tongue for the rest of the journey home. Okay. <laughs> uh, Poor Jack. Poor Abe. All Abe wanted to do was be happy for once in his damned life. <laughs> mm, not to be. <laughs> <laughs> you don't become great by being happy. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, and our last dramatic reading is in New Orleans, and it's a chat between Abraham Lincoln and Edgar Allan Poe. And I'll be Abe, and Kate will be Poe. You have heard of the Blood Countess, I presume. Abe's face made it clear that he hadn't. You? With all your gallivanting around chasing vampires? Then I beg you indulge me a moment, for she is a favorite of mine, and an important piece of our country's history. Elizabeth Bathroy was the jewel of Hungarian nobility. Beautiful, wealthy beyond compare... Her only burden was sharing a bed with a man she did not love, a man to whom she had been promised since her twelfth year. Count Ferenc Nadassi. Nadassi. Whatever. Whatever. 
He was a generous husband, however, and allowed Elizabeth to indulge her every whim. Unbeknownst to him, her favorite indulgence was a dark-haired, fair-skinned woman named Anna Dervolia. The two became lovers. It is unclear when... Two women lovers? A trivial detail. It is unclear when Elizabeth learned that Anna was a vampire, or when she became one herself, but the pair were nonetheless eager to begin eternity together. Upon the Count's mysterious death in 1604, the lovers began to lure young peasant girls to Katish Castle with promises of employment, with money for their starving families. In truth, these girls were meant to be the playthings of lesser gods, to be robbed of their blood and their lives. In all, Elizabeth and Anna would kill more than 600 girls in three years' time. My God. Ah, but it is worse, for the pair seemed to pride themselves on crafting the most gruesome, the most degrading, the most painful methods of murder. Girls were tortured, ravaged, consumed for days at a time. Some were suspended above the floor by hooks through their arms and legs. Elizabeth and Anna would lie beneath, using knives to make tiny cuts in the girl's skin, letting her blood drip slowly over their bodies as they made love below. Some girls were partially crucified, their hands nailed to wooden... I beg you to be done with this, Poe. It is too much. At last, the peasants would tolerate no more, and the castle was stormed. Inside, the mob found a dungeon filled with iron cages. Half-dead victims with bites taken from their arms and stomachs. Girls whose hands and faces had been held over flames until they were blackened to the bone. But no trace of the vampires. A trial was staged and a pair of innocent women cast into a pit of fire to appease the peasantry. But the real Elizabeth Bathory and Arna D- Anna Darulia had escaped. The horrors, Lincoln. The horrors that these women were able to inflict in such a short time. The efficiency and imagination with which they murdered. There is a beauty in it. One cannot help but admire them. It is vile. Surely life has taught you that a thing can be both beautiful and vile. I was promised an important piece of our country's history. Pray, is there some lesson in this unpleasantness, or do you merely take pleasure in tormenting an old friend? The lesson, old friend, is this. Elizabeth Bathroy is, in some measure, to blame for the many vampires we enjoy here in America. Now Poe had Abe's attention. Word of her atrocity spread through Europe. Rumors of a vampire blood countess and the hundreds of girls she slaughtered. In the space of ten years, centuries of whispered superstitions turned to open hatred. Never had a story caused such fervor. Gone forever were the days of accepting vampires as a cost of life, and gone was the fear of challenging them. Vampire hunters began to appear from England to Croatia, learning from one another, chasing the undead across the continent, chasing them into the stinking sewers and disease slums of Paris, chasing them down dark alleys of London. Vampires reduced to sleeping in crypts, reduced to drinking the blood of stray dogs, lions hunted by sheep. It had become intolerable to be a vampire in Europe. They wanted freedom, freedom from persecution, from fear. And where could such freedoms be found? In America. In America, Lincoln. America was a paradise where vampires could exist without fierce competition over blood. God bless it. (laughs) Alright, so you you can see this book fucking rules, you guys. (laughs) Alright, should we move on to some would-you-rathers? Yes. 
Would you rather hunt vampires with Abe or have a seance with Mary Todd? I'm gonna go seance with Mary Todd because I don't think I'd be a very good vampire hunter, but I do know a lot about ghosts. I'm also gonna go seance with Mary Todd because I'm, like, fascinated by 19th century occultism. And also, like, I'm not very in shape. That would end poorly if I had to swing an axe. (laughs) Yeah, same on both. Um, Although I I do admire Abe's vampire-killing work and wish him the best. All right, how about, would you rather write goth poetry with Poe or write a manuscript based on Lincoln's secret journal? Hmm. See, this is difficult because uh, if I was writing goth poetry with Poe, that would be pretty quick, I think, to, like, just, you know, slap a couple of those down on the page and then move on with my life to my own projects. But... Uh, Lincoln's journals are much more interesting, but it's also more time consuming. Mm-hmm. Uh, for me, no question. I'm doing the Lincoln's journals. I don't have anything else going on with my life. I want to read Lincoln's secret journal. <laughs> Come on. Yeah, I think I'm also coming down on Lincoln's journals. I'm definitely doing poetry with Poe just because I write poetry in my free time anyway. And also, um, that would be an amazing experience. You guys, you guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. They're both good, but, uh, you know. Okay, well, we'll all be satisfied with our choices. Okay, lastly, would you rather have an actual literal vampire for president or Donald Trump for president? Vampire. Yeah. How many people's rights is the vampire trying to take away? Well, maybe, maybe all huge. I mean, I guess actually, I mean, probably I, about the same. <laughs> probably about the same amount. Like, if the vampire is sending all of us to just some sort of weird cattle farm? I mean, caveat: if the vampires are sending everyone but rich white men to the cattle farm, it's the same. Yeah, um, that is not you know a distinction I want to make. Uh, God, I, I think it's about the same, but I think the vampire would probably like be better on Twitter. Um, I think the vampire would probably be less likely to, like, start nuclear war. Yeah, the vampire would probably be pretty against nuclear war. Um, and we know, I mean, there are, there's rules you can follow to kill a vampire. Um, <laughs> there are no rules you can follow to kill Donald Trump. Yeah. His horcruxes are many. <laughs> yeah, well, it just seems like nothing, you know, anybody else, I feel like any of these, like, scandals that he's had would have stopped him by now, but, like, Nothing has. But I think we could take down Vampire President, so I'm choosing that. I just keep thinking about how my dad likes to tell me that just because you think something doesn't make it true, but clearly for some people that works. Yes. <laughs> and, like, vampires can glamour people so they can effectively make everyone think something, but apparently Donald Trump can also effectively do that, and I'm so confused. <laughs> I feel like, I mean, for a lot of reasons, like, basically at this point, I would take, like, literally anyone else. Uh, But also, I, and, you know, who knows, maybe it would be a really racist vampire, but I feel like a vampire pretty much thinks of all humans on the same sub-level. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he makes distinctions between, like, gay people and straight people, or Christian people and Jewish people and Muslim people. I think pretty much everyone is the same. That's a great point. And depressing. Yes. De- de- to be clear, depressing that this vampire is better than Trump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Well, 
Oh, wait. Kale, did you pick? Did we all pick vampire, or are you still deliberating? I was still deliberating. I guess I'll go vampire. This seems like a lose-lose to me. Well, for sure. <laughs> I mean, sometimes that's would you rather, is just picking the least bad one. True. Because if it's like, would you rather, you know, have Hillary or Trump, like, obviously, obviously. But this way it's like, well, I don't know. But I do know, and it's vampire. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay, let's move on to Reader's Advisory, where we'll suggest things to read instead of or in addition to this, which I think we've all made pretty clear. If this sounds like the kind of thing that you might like, uh, you will like it, because it's great. Yep, and uh, as I said earlier, uh, How to Survive a Horror Movie, also by Seth Graham Smith, super good. If you are into that sort of shit, I recommend it. Also, there were, like, a million knockoffs of this book. Like, not just Pride and Prejudice and Zombies and all of Seth Graham. Like, that's a whole other series of knockoffs. But, I mean, like, there was, like, historical figures killing vampires and demons became, like, a, you know, like, like Queen Victoria, Demon Hunter, (laughs) and Charlotte Bronte, like, murderer of the werewolves. It was a, a thing that started happening. I haven't read any of the other ones, but if you were super into this, like, that might be something to check out. There's also a sequel to this called The Last American Vampire that I guess is more about um, Vampire Henry. Oh, I didn't know that. My ebook came with a little sample of it at the end. Um, yeah, like I mentioned, I read Pride and Prejudice in Zombies, and I didn't like it as much as this. I didn't. I thought it was a little, t- like, too serious. And I wish it was less. But what a lot of other people seem to like it, so whatever. Uh, I will recommend the comic series 1602 by Neil Gaiman, which is like an alternate Marvel universe set in the year 1602 that does also address Roanoke. Uh, no vampires, though, but it's still pretty dope. In the alternate history comics frame of mind... I know I've recommended this like 20 times on the podcast already, and if you haven't read it yet, probably it's because it's out of print, but also it's because you need to get on it, uh, Tales from the Bully Pulpit, which is a comic about uh, time-traveling Theodore Roosevelt, who teams up with the ghost of Thomas Edison to travel to the future and kill Hitler, who lives on the moon now, where the Nazis have created a racial divide between the two types of Martians. And at the end, there's a boss fight between, like, all of the fascist dictators and all of the proponents of democracy from throughout history, including Chairman Meow, who is the alternate universe anthropomorphic (laughs) version, cat version of Chairman Mao. And uh, Lincoln, at one point, punches someone in the face and says, I'm going to emancipate your teeth. (laughs) Oh my god. I know Kate's told me to read that before, but listening to her say that now, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, no, I should do that. Um, I'm gonna suggest another comic, actually. Um, in the Let's Assassinate a President realm, Gerard Way wrote a, a series of comics called The Umbrella Academy, which are really good. I can't tell you how many times I've been at a comic book store and had some dude go, oh, I didn't want to like it, but I really liked it. <laughs> no, it's really good. But it's based around these, like, five uh, weird, like, superheroes of these really bizarre powers. And in the second volume, it's called Umbrella Academy Dallas. It opens with the five superheroes fighting a living, massive, giant statue of Abraham Lincoln. I think it's from the Lincoln Memorial, but it might be another one. There are a lot of statues of Abraham Lincoln about. 
uh, and then goes on to uh, detail how these characters were involved in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. So, you know, if learning different ways that people might have killed presidents is your jam and also weird superheroes, you should definitely check that thing out. Oh, and the art is by Gabriel Ba, and it's really good, you guys. On the vein of uh, people killing presidents, I know I've suggested this before, but... Uh, we are a musical-loving podcast, and I do want to really strongly endorse Assassins the Musical. Which, yes. And I would also like to interject, I recently, so I loved the music of it for years, I recently got to see it performed live for the first time, and A, it was incredible, but B, uh, in the production, I saw the character of the balladeer, who is kind of like the narrator, was played by a black actor, and so it was... If you're familiar with the show, like, it was incredible to see him, like, interacting with uh, John Wilkes Booth, and, like, it just put a whole extra, like, spin on it, and it was great. But either, anyway, so I said, I endorse Assassins of the Musical all around. I wish I had seen that production. The cast was amazing. Also... You were there the night that Stephen Sondheim and Josh Groban were both there, right? Yeah, no, uh, yeah not to brag, but my besties, <laughs> Steve and Josh, were there with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I didn't talk to them at all, but they were there. Like the summer I moved, I'd never heard of Assassins, and then the summer I moved to Boston, I literally saw it three times. <laughs> it was great every time. Living your best life. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess all of us wrote down and nobody said out loud, I guess we should really quickly mention Gail Carriger. Who, ha- okay. if you're into this kind of thing, you've probably already read her, but it is to me such a like clear read alike that we should at least say it out loud. Um, They're very good, like steampunk books with supernatural elements that are very funny, with like great characters and very like a very modern sense of humor and sensibility. Also uh, filled with queer characters, which I'm like super in favor of, obviously. Uh, and also, uh, we mentioned it last episode, but our friend Jesse wrote a comic called Action Draculas, and you should read it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, great. Yeah, so we'll have all these and some others. Oh, no, I tried to wrap this up, and I failed. I have one more that I want to say that uh, I haven't read yet, because it's not actually out yet, but it's getting a lot of hype, and I'm very excited to read it when it comes out. It's called Dread Nation by Justina Ireland. It's a YA novel about, uh, like, Reconstruction era... The heroine is a young black girl who fights zombies, which the Confederates are zombies. That's all I know about it, and I can't wait to read it. So Same. Put that on your radar. Uh, check out worstbestsellers.com for this list and some others that we didn't get around to talking to. And we will move on to our candy pairing, where we suggest a candy to go along with this book. Mine is old-timey stick candy, uh, because... Like I mentioned, I've been to Lincoln's New Salem a bunch, and that was always, like, a a real treat on that trip was to get old-timey stick candy at the New Salem General Store. And, uh, you know, just, like, it really enhanced your experience of history, getting to, like, eat some candy. Uh, no, it's delicious. It's fun. It's historical. And you could suck it down to a real sharp stick and stab a vampire with it, probably. <laughs> Uh, I'm going to go with root beer barrels, uh, because they're tough on the outside, and I guess also tough on the inside. They'll emancipate your teeth for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm going to go with the, like, candy vampire fangs that they sell around Halloween, because this is the sort of book that you should absolutely cosplay while you're reading it. Like, you really are going to want to get into the obsessive fan moment of it. (laughs) 
I'm wearing a stovepipe hat right now. <laughs> All right. Uh, we'll move on now to our favorite game, The Rock, Paper, Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne The Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book, and I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book, and KL will get to decide which most enhances the book. Or she can just paper, which to leave this book as is, which is fair because this book rules. Uh, so because this book is actually already pretty great, um, I most of the story of the book would say stay the same if Dwayne the Rock Johnson were in it. Uh, but the Rock would show up as another one of Lincoln's buddies who become vampire hunters in the same vein as uh, Jack and Joshua Speed. And uh, yeah, he would just like get trained up by Lincoln, and there'd be like a montage of that, and he'd like say some witty one-liners, and then maybe at the end he also has chosen to become a vampire. So then he. He could be immortal buddies with Abe and Henry, and there could be some sequels about him. Yeah, I also chose to leave the core of this book intact. So my, if Wolverine were in this, it would be actually past the events of this book. Um, it would be sort of now when, as in the comics, Jubilee became a vampire. So um, this has happened. Logan's looking around for some like other cool vampires to sort of like be a vampire mentor for her. Um, obviously he finds vampire Abraham Lincoln and invites him to Xavier's school to, like, chill with Jubilee, like, help out with his vampire thing. Um, but turns out Lincoln and Logan get along, like, super great. They kind of commiserate about having been alive for, like, hundreds of years. And then they, like, share beard oil tips, and then they fall in love, and then they fight together to destroy bad vampires and bad humans and bad mutants and make out. I, uh, actually remember Jubilee turning into a vampire. <laughs> Reading she's still a vampire. Like nothing stays yeah. in but she's still a goddamn vampire. I can't believe that they went with that narrative decision for so long. Happened, like I'm so over it. It happened so long ago. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um. Because of that, though, I really, uh, I really like Renata's take. I really want them to share beard oil. Uh, I mean, listen, I said this before, I said it now, I also, I mean, when I say before, I mean I said this about uh, Sookie Stackhouse, I also want to write this crossover fanfiction, I'm into it. Yes. <laughs> but I also think The Rock should be there, because uh, it's all it's all gold, it's all pure gold. Alright, how about, what do we think the moral of the story is? Uh, my moral of the story is probably don't be friends with Abraham Lincoln, because uh, we... Basically, everyone who knows him dies at some point, either by vampires or other means. And we didn't get into this, but uh, Jack Robinson, at one point, uh, when he's fighting vampires on Abe's behalf, like, loses a hand and almost bleeds to death. Like, there's a lot of really collateral damage to being friends with Abe. Yeah. Or being his child. Yeah, that too. <laughs> really don't be Abe's child, unless your name is Robert. Don't have been progeny of Abraham Lincoln. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mine is that vampires are terrible. White people, also pretty terrible. Honestly, uh, if you're not going to go around taking down Confederate statues, at least file their teeth into sharp points so everyone knows the true history. <laughs> <laughs> No, it, don't do Please just take them down. <laughs> uh, if you think about it, vampires are just, like, the most white people. <laughs> they are. They're they the are, whitest yeah. of people. <laughs> um, all right. My moral of the story is a quote that is falsely attributed to Abraham Lincoln, but I still think it summarizes this book, or, like, what I took away from it, which is, whatever you are, be a good one. So, you know, if you're going to be a vampire hunter, be a good vampire hunter. 
if you're going to be a podcaster, be a good podcaster. <laughs> well, you know, whatever you're doing. The two genders. <laughs> Vampire Hunter podcaster. <laughs> I wonder if I'm interested in Vampire Hunter podcast. <laughs> I guess that's kind of what we've become. <laughs> uh, great. Okay, uh, we'll move on now to Duarte's corner, where my cat Duarte will share his thoughts about the book. <laughs> Oh my god, Dorte. Yeah, um, you're right. This is definitely better because no cats were like violently murdered as they were in Dead Until Dawn. But you know, there there definitely, as always, could be more cats in this book. Yeah, and you know, I'm gonna pitch you a sequel, a uh, Theodore Roosevelt Vampire Hunter, because that dude loved animals. I'm sure he had five or six cats running around the White House. So that could, I'll I'll write you in. You could be a character in that book. Oh, please do. Uh, all right, well, thank you, Duarte. Do any humans have any closing thoughts? This book is so delightful, you guys. I promise. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun, especially in comparison to other books that I've been reading for this podcast. Dracula's also really good. Yeah. If you were unaware, I had never read it before, and, like, I'm into it. I'm excited to go talk about that after we're done talking about <laughs> it. Mina Harker's my fucking hero. Mina yeah. Harker and Abraham Lincoln could yes. do some shit together. I would read that. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yes. Um, all right, great. Well, if you uh, have enjoyed us in podcast form, you might also enjoy us in social media form. Uh, we are on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S at the end. The S was tragically lost to history. It's in a leather-bound journal floating around somewhere. Uh, you can like us on Facebook where we're Worst Bestseller spelled regular. We also have a Goodreads group that's a little bit hard to search for, so I would recommend just going to our website, worstbestsellers.com, and clicking on Goodreads if you're interested in that. You can subscribe to us on Stitcher, iTunes, and Google Play. And if you do subscribe to us, please take a moment to rate and review us. When you rate and review us, it pops us up a little bit on the charts and makes it easier for people to find us. If you don't rate and review us, uh, then we're going to have to maybe send some uh, buddies of ours who maybe like only come out at night and wear cool steampunk glasses during the day to talk to you about that. Uh, you can also support us on Patreon, which is a website where you can provide a small recurring monthly donation to help us do things like pay our editor and buy new equipment. And there's also perks for you, uh, like bonus episodes, one of which is up there right now just for our Patreon listeners. Uh, and that was You can find that at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Yeah. Uh, you can follow me personally on Twitter at Renata Snacks. You can follow me personally on Twitter at 14across. You can follow me personally on Twitter at Mombi, M-O-M-E-B-I-E. And we'll be back in two weeks with Breaking Dawn by Stephanie Meyer, because we love vampires, I guess. I guess. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye. 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 I mean, I would believe that Kate's just here to tell all of us how to straighten the fuck up. <laughs> Opposite of that. <laughs>